Welcome to episode 7 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings within hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. We are adding a different element to the digest with interviews and other such content, bringing voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League, the USPHL and its Tier 2 tuition-free National Collegiate Development Conference has announced rescheduled dates for the 2020 NCDC Combine Series. The Chicago Combine will take place June 13th and 14th at the Midwest Training and Ice Center in Dyer, Indiana. The Detroit Combine will take place June 25th and 26th at Frazier Hockeyland in Frazier, Michigan. Those already registered for the NCDC Combine do not need to re-register. There are still limited openings for each Combine, but register today as these spots will fill up fast. Goaltending spots for both combines are filled, but goalies can request to be put on the wait list. Visit www.usphl.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed last week as we sat down with two heavy hitters in the pro game from the coaching and dad Watson of the Toledo walleye who talked about the life in the East coast hockey league, his day-to-day life while in the season and how he and his staff go about bringing guys in and teaching them how to be good pros hopefully getting them to move on to the higher ranks. On the playing and evaluating end, we spoke to 15-year NHL vet and director of scouting for Neutral Zone NHL, Ian Moran. Ian shared his love for this new facet of life on the scouting end and what scouts really look for when looking for new talent. It was two great conversations. We thank both gentlemen greatly for being a part of the show. Uh, it was really cool to listen to to Dan Watson and talk about the East Coast League and and how Toledo has has really built a product that the town and and surrounding areas are proud of and and how it the the, the efforts have made it easier I guess or or better for guys to want to come and play in Toledo and then on the other end having Ian on and Ian just was just blowing up with excitement for his new job in the in the scouting end and something he's always done subconsciously i guess and now he he's made a life of it and and what scouts look for and i mean it was just i'll tell you what it was, it was an episode that was fun to be a part of it. it was it was something that people really need to listen to for sure you know you talk about people being students of the game and and learning the game you know ian talked about his uh studying of the game and dan talked about studying tape of games and practices and training camps and then being able for Ian, being able to do that for a living now and fo- follow and watch young players move uh, through the ranks has got to be, one, a great job, and two, exciting as because he gets uh, so into being a student of the game. I really appreciated talking to Dan as well about his uh, thought process on how tape is being used 
and how they do truthful Tuesdays. I thought that was a unique concept. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> as we talk about all the time, tape doesn't lie. Hence truthful Tuesday. And, and I, I found it interesting how, you know, players know when they make mistakes, you don't, you don't, coaches don't always need to come down on them. They know they made those mistakes, but if you had a, at a series and you knew you made some flubs, you knew on Tuesday, you were going to be as Dan, I'll quote Dan, you knew you were going to be the first star of that video session. And you know, Hey, all these guys, everything these guys talked about was improving. How these are tools to improve. How bad do you want to get to your next level? And are you doing the work to get there? Well, tape and, and all the evaluations are, are steps toward growing to be, to uh, reaching the next level. Yeah, the, the behind-the-scenes part of that uh, conversation last week was really interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to them. It was an interview, uh, and I don't really want to call it an interview, but it was an interview more of, of us just listening, and uh, and hopefully people that were listening to the podcast uh, take into consideration if you if you want to play the game, if you want to move on to the next level, if you're at that level, how do you, keep, how do you stay at that level? Um, I know, Jay, you and I talked uh, to a, a coach from Bowling Green, uh, State University one time, and he, he said, you can't move to the next level unless you're the best at the level you're at now. Well, part of that is also being a student in the game, understanding what happens on a tape, understanding what happens, you know, and how do you get to that? And, and talking about those guys uh, last week what was, uh, you know, that's just, uh, you know, a, a testament to that truth. This week, we venture a bit closer to home. We get to talk to Carolina Hurricane and Parma native Alex Nadelkovich about what's going on in the NHL during the COVID-19 shutdown. And not to be outdone, we get the chance to talk to a young player, 24 years old, making his pro hockey debut this upcoming season. And this guy, Jay, you and I have gotten to know, uh, we coach against Dawson uh, back in, when he was in high school. And if you want to talk about a kid that wanted to be a student of the game, that wanted to be the best at the level that he played at, and he truly worked his, his butt off to get there, uh, we're, we're so fortunate to be able to sit down with Dawson DePietro from Walsh Jesuit. Uh, he's also a Western Michigan University grad. Uh, stops by to discuss his path uh, to his current situation. He signed a one-year contract with the Buffalo Sabres of the National Hockey League. Dawson DePietro is a guy that you look at and say he had a vision and he worked his butt off to get there. I mean, there was no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that statement. And, and when we would coach against him – hell I'll say it. I was very critical of the way he played the game and in looking at how he's progressed and, and, and where he's made himself into or what he's made himself into and, and, and where he is in his career. I mean, <laughs> hats off to the kid, man. I mean, I was looking at his stats from, you know, U18 all the way through NCAA into the, you know, I guess his development camps and everything like that. And his, his plus minus just kept going up and up and up. And I'm like, man, you're taking care of the defensive end. And that was something as a young player, um, maybe he wasn't the best at, you know, he was always been a talented goal scorer, always been an excellent skater. And that's how he was utilized or that that's what he played to his strength. And you can see the progression of him working on his, his, I, I don't want to say weaknesses, but I'm working on all aspects of his game to improve to where, you know, God bless him. Now he's, he's signed a pro contract and, and it's going to be exciting to talk to him and hear about all that. Yeah, for sure. It definitely was an easy road for him. And, and I look forward to uh, him, you know, talking about his uh, journey, which isn't, which isn't over. I mean, uh, I, I believe Dawson's the type of kid that uh, just because he got there doesn't 
uh, isn't good enough for him. He he's, he got there. He wants to stay there, and he wants to do some things. So uh, it's going to be a great uh, conversation with him. I uh, can't wait to talk to both those gentlemen, but before we do, uh, let's get to the boys. I mean, so here we are, another week. Uh, things are uh, improving. Weather is issue here, but, you know, I just want to, again, as we do, uh, through the digest, want to thank all those nurses and doctors and first responders for doing what they do, keeping us safe. I know it's going to get a little bit crazy here with some things reopening and, and maybe the hospital's getting a little bit more crowded, but thank you for what all, all that you guys do for us. Uh, we look forward to getting back to some sort of normalcy. Uh, you know, I had nothing really going on this week. Uh, I kind of got went back to work for a little bit. I uh, was able to uh, see some of our guys, which was kind of nice, uh, some of our high school guys. Uh, that was good to, to, to catch up with those guys. I did make a, a statement to the group. Uh, of course, we did some social distancing, but it was nice to be able to uh, feel a little normal again and, and see some of those guys. So, um, you know, things are starting to change here a little bit. Yeah, to see the uh, the places that are opening up and, you know, I believe the restaurants and the, and the drinking establishments have to be a, a patio setting right now. And, you know, it, you drive around because I also went back to work a bit here and and you see the locations with people outside and trying to find what the new normal is. I know we've talked about the new normal for weeks now. And, you know, it's been nice to see people trying to figure it out. And it was an excellent visit with the boys on the, on the team today. And, and obviously we social distance correctly. And uh, it was just cool to, to, to feel how we used to, even though times are going to be different some way, shape or form, but it was, it was cool to get out for a bit today. I went to, uh, uh, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, I bought a new smoker and I smoked some ribs and bacon. And, and so now I'm trying something new now. Uh, I'm trying a dry aging for steak and uh, we'll see how it works where you got to dry age a steak for like 21 to 35 days. I'm a little leery of the the schmegma that's going to grow on it that I'm supposed to cook it, cook after it. But uh, according to the interweb, which we all know that if, if you read it on the interweb, it's got to be true. It's true. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. So we'll take progress. Maybe I'll start throwing up some pictures on uh, the, the Digest uh, website or the Twitter account of day one to day 21 of uh, my sirloin steak dry aging experiment. Have you been in talks yet with uh, management? over the cooking segment we're going to go to here soon. So if this one works out, are we definitely going to a cooking segment? I would love to, I would love to do that. Maybe bring somebody in like, I don't know, somebody who, who left the game of hockey and got him, got themselves into a restaurant. I don't know. We know a few guys like that, I think. Yeah, maybe. So maybe we could find somebody that'd be awesome, man. I mean, you know, you got, you got the it guy here on, on the line here. Maybe he can set up a camera view and cooking with Sully smoking with Sully. Yeah, I mean, smoking with Sully might be a little. Oh, that's, a little that, that, that sounds a little. That sounds a little whacked, man. Come on, I'm trying to keep a job here, bro. Well, whiskey and whiskey and cigars, man. That's all that is. I can do that. Danny, what's up I with you? Uh, I, saw your, I saw you guys went to the beach the other day, huh? Yeah, we went down to um, Edgewater. I mean, it, it was nice, decent amount of people out, and it again, everyone just kind of keeping their distance, but going about their business, enjoying it. Did you have the kid play monkey bars on the Cleveland sign or no? No. Oh, come on. No, not this time. It's like, but, it's um, like a bounce house to him. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, we don't even, you know, now need to go to the beach. I sent you guys the pictures of the backyard all flooded <laughs> after all that rain that just came through oh, this it weekend. Insane, and it was insane. It was insane. My entire, my, my house looked like I, I had a, 
a moat around it. I mean, between the streets, the backyards, it was insane amount of rain. So, well, I'm looking out the window right now at some very dark clouds coming toward my location. And the other day we had a river running through the backyard, but nevertheless, uh, the front yard got cut today. Yeah. Yeah. There, there you yeah. go. Get, yeah. get it yeah. done, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's gotta be. It's gotta be. Gotta look good. Gotta look presentable, right? Don't, yeah. don't, worry, don't worry about the three foot troughs that are running through my yard right now, but that's okay. Uh, I think we're the only three people that actually have to deal with that, right? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you know, I, I, every once in a while, I think when that happens, I think the lawnmower, I think the lawnmower just might just run out of gas. Yeah. Like what, what, the, what happened? The gas no, it's, it just ran out of gas. Whatever, man. Why do you have a gas tank in your trunk? Oh, that's where it went? Huh. So. All right, well, let's see what's happening this week around Ohio in the sport of hockey. Word came down on Monday, May 11th, that the Worcester Oilers of the United States Premier Hockey League have been revived and will return to the ice at Alice Noble Arena for the 2020-2021 USPHL season. What a victory this is for junior hockey in Ohio. The Oilers went dormant last season, and, and Alice Norville Ice Arena almost closed. But the Worcester Youth Hockey Association and members of the Worcester Ice community put together a pledge drive that resulted in nearly $200,000 committed annually over three years to save the rink. Co-owner Marty Kerr says the team has hit the ground running. This is Marty Kerr, co-owner of the Worcester Oilers, part of the USPHL Premier Division playing out of Worcester, Ohio. We are really excited to uh, bring back the team for the 2020-2021 season. Uh, we're looking for local, uh, regional, high school, and, and uh, uh, juniors talent that want to come and try out and have a conversation. We have a lot new this year. Uh, Alice Noble is, is going on into the future uh, because the community was able to rally around and save it, and we have a lot going on. We want to see players come out. So if you're interested in junior hockey, uh, Go ahead and contact us at WorcesterOilers.com, or you can send an email to M-K-E-R-R at WorcesterOilers.com. And we'd love to see new players out. We're excited for the upcoming season. The Oilers will return to the Great Lakes Division of the USPHL Premier level, where they will compete with the Toledo Cherokee, Columbus Mavericks, and the Lake Erie Bighorns out of Erie, Pennsylvania. Jordan Romer a former Worcester Oilers player and assistant coach for the Eastern Michigan University ACHA team will be the head coach of the Oilers. Staying with the USPHL, former Olmstead Falls sniper Dominic Conti, who played last season at the University of Akron, signed with the Lake Erie Bighorns out of Erie, PA, for what will be his 19-year-old season. Conti's game translated from high school to the ACHA as he scored 21 goals in 20 games as a freshman for the Zips last season. Now he will try his hand at the junior game. The Tri-State Collegiate Hockey League will be holding its 2021 league tournament at Bowling Green State University. Games will be played at the 5,000-seat Slater Family Ice Arena in Bowling Green and the Cube Ice Arena in Finley. The tournament will be played over three days from February 19th to February 21st. The nine-team TSCHL includes six Ohio-based schools, Bowling Green, Dayton, Miami, Ohio University Division II, Ohio State, and Xavier. BG head coach Jake Rischel is looking forward to the event. Uh, we wanted to have the uh, league tournament uh, here in Ohio, and um, thanks to the other teams for voting, uh, to have it here in BG. We're 
really excited, uh, and it, it's going to show uh, a lot of Ohio-grown players at this level, and it's going to be really good hockey. I think almost every team in our league has uh, Ohio players, and we're really looking forward to hosting a special event, and it'll probably be the biggest event we've been a part of. The TSCHL is seeking sponsors for the 2021 TSCHL tournament. If you are interested in sponsoring the event, please contact Commissioner Driscoll at tschlcommish at gmail.com. For the first time in Westlake Demons history, there will be a new face behind the bench as 2014 Westlake graduate Brendan Teets was elevated to head coach, replacing program founder John Duke, who guided the program for its first 10 years. Brendan is excited to return to his alma mater. I was very honored at the opportunity to become head coach at Westlake High School. And I can't thank the community, friends, and family enough for the support that they have given me throughout this whole thing. Uh, coach at Westlake now as an assistant for about four or five years now under John Duke, who was my head coach when I was going to Westlake High School. And I think it's a very big honor to come back to the school that I went to and that I attended to take over the reins and take over the coaching position. Duke will remain on staff in a reduced role in order to spend more time with his family. The move is still pending board approval. The Erie Otters did extensions for their entire coaching staff as general manager Dave Brown locked up head coach Chris Hertzberg, associate coach B.J. Adams, and assistant coach Wes Wolf for two more years. Hartsburg, 39, recently completed his third season as Otters head coach, leading the organization's rebuild period following the 2017 OHL championship. The 2019-2020 campaign saw him guide the franchise back into the playoffs after missing the previous two years. The Otters are considered to be in the Ohio Hockey Digest footprint, and if you have not made it over there to see an Ontario Hockey League game in person, you are missing out. 45 former Otters have played in the NHL, including Connor McDavid, Ryan O'Reilly, Alex DeBrinkett, Dylan Strom, and Ohio's own Mike Rupp. The consensus top defenseman in the 2020 NHL draft, Jamie Drysdale, has spent the past two seasons in Erie as well. NHL Central Scouting has Drysdale as the number three prospect for the draft behind only Alex Lafreniere and Quinton Byfield. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine announced on Thursday that low-contact or non-contact sports can resume on May 26th if they can meet safety protocols. In the same statement, he said that high-contact sports were still being considered. Nothing definite here, but we are hopeful that this could mean summer hockey will be able to take place in some form, even if it does not start on time. Russ Zankiewicz has already pushed back the start date of the Ohio Hockey Project's Summer Elite League and Futures Hockey League the first week of July and is hopeful it will start on schedule. Russ was one of our first guests here on the podcast and will be coming back on in a few weeks to preview the Futures Leagues, which showcase a lot of the type, top high school and U15 players in Northeast Ohio. We also have some news on the Russ Sinkowicz front. We'd like to congratulate Russ and his wife, Jenna, on the birth of their baby, Arlo. Mom and baby are doing great, and we want to wish them from the Ohio Hockey Digest and the on-air podcast guys, all the best with their new bundle of joy. It's time for our first guest. Let's get on air with newly signed member of the Buffalo Sabres organization, Dawson DePietro. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. 
the USPHL is the nation's largest amateur ice hockey league and the only league to span the continental United States and parts of Canada. The USPHL will field approximately 550 teams in 2020 and 2021, representing over 100 organizations comprised of 11,000 players spanning the ages of 6 through 18. Our first guest has worked to prove himself everywhere he's played, from Welsh Jesuit in Team Ohio to Bell Tire U18. Two years in the North American Hockey League, playing in 108 games, tacking up 29 goals, 47 assists for 76 points for a plus 21 rating for the Topeka Roadrunners, Cooley Region, Austin Bruins, and the Jansville Jets. Then attending Western Michigan University, where he continued to prove himself with 105 games played, 34 goals, 54 assists for 88 points and a plus two rating. Honorable mention for the NCHC All-Star team in 2018. And I think, which is the most important part here, an NCHC All-Academic team in 2019 at Western Michigan. He's also the Western Michigan Rob Hodge co-MVP 2018 and led the team in points that season. This young man has battled through and recently signed a professional contract, a one-year deal with the Buffalo Sabres of the NHL. Please welcome on air from Farmington Hills High School via Walsh Jesuit, Dawson DePietro. Welcome, Dawson. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, heck of an intro there. Way more teams than I would have liked to have played for, but uh, we will take it for the road and where it's gotten me. Hell yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, you, didn't, sure. you, didn't, you didn't think we were going to let you get away from Farmington Hills, did you? <laughs> Farmington's funny because I wanted to... I wanted to graduate from Walsh, but they're like, it was just so, it was a different state and it's just so different. So they just wouldn't let me uh, come back because I was just, it was just the, the qualifications are just too different. Right well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure when you win your first Stanley cup, then you'll, you can take it back to Walsh and they'll give you an honorary uh, diploma. One day. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. So, so hey, hey, Dawson, you, you leave Walsh early in 2013. Um, and you know, what was your, what was your decision process uh, through that in 2013 when you decided to leave Walsh early and go up uh, to Bell Tire? Yeah, so I played – so so playing there was – I was looking for maybe a next step in my direction. I played for Team Ohio at the same time as Walsh Jesuit, and Team Ohio was a bit more travel, and I got some exposure. I had some options to play junior hockey and leave um, one year early out of high school. And uh, I chose to go to Bell Tire and leave because um, – I felt like that jump from high school to the NA or the high school to a next level junior team was going to be quite the jump. And I thought like it was maybe an intermediate step. Uh, Bell Tyrant put together some absolutely some great teams in the last couple of years. And I uh, played for coach Corey was something that was a special opportunity. So I jumped at it. So you finished at Farmington Hills in Michigan playing for Bell Tire. Mm-hmm. Was the next step to go to the NA or did you ever think about the USHL? So for me, I actually, after the season at Walsh, before I played for Bell Tire, I went to a tryout with the Topeka Roadrunners and I was like the last cut off the team. They were like, you can come play here, but we can't promise you're going to get games and stuff. And I chose to, I actually almost made the team right out of Team Ohio Walsh, but I chose to go play in Bell Tire. And so they kept an eye on me throughout the year. Um, And then they ended up tendering me um, like three fourths way through the year when they were eligible to. And so I had a spot on that team. I knew, um, I only was contacted by two USHL teams. I wasn't drafted and I just, um, I, I assumed that I would take the, the NA route. 
So you committed to Western Michigan from the Jansville, Jansville Jets, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Or the North American League. You know, obviously any, any player gets an opportunity to commit to any school. That's got to be an exciting uh, situation. You get to commit to Western Michigan, who I would say, and, and, and I think a lot of other people would say, and you played in that league, but uh, is a part of one of the hardest leagues in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, so how, how excited were you to be able to not only go to Western Michigan, but also to be able to play in the NCHC? Yeah, I don't exactly 100% know exactly, knew what I, know what I was getting into at that moment, knew exactly how good that league was. Um, coming into Western Michigan, Western Michigan actually only had eight wins that season before I came in. Um, my class that ended up coming in, and I know five of us or four of us just walked out with NHL deals, quite a special class to start to turn it around. I didn't play my first year, but um, being able to talk to Western was special to me. It was kind of close to home-ish area. It was in Michigan, only three and a half hours from home. Um, and the NCHC kind of just notched off all the things that you would dream to play for. And then I started to hear about how great the atmosphere was playing there and everything like that. I mean, the um, the lunatics that they call them, the Lawson lunatics, thousands of fans in uh, Western. And um, it was a special experience and like a special moment when they did offer me. Hey, Doss, real quick, were you offered or were you, did you talk to any other uh, schools besides Western? Uh, like three or four, but Western was like the first offer. They were going to be offers after that, but I jumped at Western. No, no. We're playing in that, playing in that league. That's probably a smart move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you're at Western, you're playing arguably the hardest league in NCAA hockey and the NCHC, like we talked about your first full season, you absolutely just light the place on fire. You went co-MVP, lead the team in points. Uh, yeah, you pass a kidney stone, take a skate to the neck. Uh, was that the season that maybe you, you said to yourself, I, I, I've worked through this. I can work through anything. Let's go. Let, let's make this an honest run at pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my first season at Western, my freshman year, I don't, I play one game, have a point, but I really only played four minutes of ice time uh, against Bowling Green that year. And they had, we had a really good team that year. We went to the, we went to the national tournament. We were a two seed top eight team in the country. And I just didn't see much ice. We had an older team. And then the next year came and I found a spot in preseason with a couple guys, Wade Allison and Cole Conrad, uh, a guy, Colt's been in the AHL now for two years and Wade Allison just signed with the Philadelphia Flyers organization was second round pick and uh, just a special player. We kind of found some magic there that worked and he kept us together. I really excelled with those two. My skill set um, helped, helped them both and as well as theirs, mine. And that year was just a special year. We had a good connection. We had a really good team. Um, it was one of those years where everything just started to go right. And I started to feel like maybe the college game, there was a bit more skill. Maybe it helped my game. It was quicker. I was a fast player. Things just, it really went in my direction um, and showed me that I could play at that level. Um, following that year and that season, I had some, I had some offers to play at the next level. Um, so that's when I kind of knew that it was maybe hockey would be a legitimate thing for me. Nice. So you, you graduate from Farmington, uh, and then you played a couple more years, uh, juniors, correct? Yes. Okay. Two years. So, two years. Were you going to school at all during those times? So I decided not to go to school. Um, could have, and looking back on it, probably should have, but there were so many horror stories about guys going to school for two years and none of the classes 
like yeah. transferring. And I didn't know where I was going to go. The very first college team I talked to was Merrimack and they told me, and I had heard that it's, 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 it's like a really up, upper echelon university. Like it's expensive to go to. I wasn't sure if my classes would transfer in there and what exactly would, would transfer in. So I just decided not to, um, at that time. So you take two years off of schooling and then you go to Western Michigan. What, what is, what was like your, your weekend and week out? So now you gotta, now you gotta balance hockey. You gotta balance school. Um, you gotta balance a new campus. So what was that? What was that transition like? Being a college division one athlete is, it's very cool. Um, but it's very demanding at the same time. Um, playing for coach Murray really, he's, he's a great coach and he's going to teach you everything that is about hockey, but he's also going to teach you everything there is about being a man and everything outside of hockey. He's just as concerned with what's going on in your personal life as he is what's going on on the ice. And so he really took a, um, a leadership role in that aspect and make sure that we were getting everything done on the, off the ice that we needed to, in order for us to be successful on the ice. And just for myself, being a division one athlete and being on a big campus, 25,000 students every day, um, got to go to some football games and experience that type of that, that student athlete life. Very special. Um, and obviously you make memories in, in those four years that I won't ever forget in friendships. You know, I think it's important, uh, what you just said there, cause we spoke to, uh, coach Vogelhuber from uh, the monsters earlier, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about his, uh, when he was playing junior hockey with, uh, uh, John Cooper in, in St. Louis. And he said, you find the right coach. And, and then if they, if you have the right coach, whatever area you're at, whatever team you're at, whatever university you're at, that's going to be the right place for you. Mm-hmm. So what you, you, what you just said there was, was, uh, obviously spot on. And that seems to be a common denominator with, with players and their success. They find the right thing for them, whether it's the coach, it's the university, it's the team, whatever it may be, what's comfortable for them. So yeah, you have to find your right fit and that's, and that's, coaching staff players place every it doesn't work out for everybody but for me western was a good fit that's awesome so 2018 summer of 2018 is that that was your uh, development camp with vegas a month after their Um, stanley cup run roughly around there yes sir what what's it feel like getting that invite and what's a normal day like at a development camp so that was a special invite obviously was my first i jumped at it um i had some others after but they're all pretty much in the same time so you pretty much most guys i'll just pick one and uh so i chose vegas it was super like cool a lot of a lot of uh um a lot of new prospects in that team and stuff and whatnot so i thought it was a good a good option to go to uh vegas was super cool vegas was uh a night a day in the development camp is, is is tough it's you go there you uh, you're, you're eating great. They got chefs and everything cooking for you. Um, but you get right to it. You jump into it. You're doing testing. Um, you're doing testing on and off the ice and then you're coming back, you're doing film and you're learning about, you know, how to be, they got, they got teachers, teachers and coaches on every possible thing that you could, you could learn about in life, whether it's learning about social media, how to handle certain situations or whether it's learning about on ice stuff, uh, you're learning about everything. And then on top of that, you're on the ice twice a day. So development camp sounds fun and everybody wants to go, but it's, uh, it's, it's, you learn about hockey, but it's, it's tough. It's demanding. Hey Jay, let me jump in here real quick. If you don't yeah, mind, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you hit a great point and it doesn't matter if you're in the pro game, Dawson, the college game, the junior game, the high school game, whatever. Can you, we, you know, we've got a lot of listeners that, that are in the, the high school, the, uh, the junior going to talk a little bit about that social media stuff that they talked to you about. Cause that's so important, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's important. And then I know uh, I just signed with Buffalo and they use, they always use Jack Eichel as uh, the guy that they maybe had to kind of bring up through as he got older. They kind of had to like teach him about social media, like kind of discuss why it is good to use certain things. And they basically tell you everyone's recording you. At, everyone has a phone. Everyone has a device. Everyone's recording you no matter what you're doing everywhere you go. So nowadays people just hit a button and you're being recorded. So everything, anything that you do and anything that you Anywhere that you go, people that you're associated with, that's going to come back to, to hurt you if, uh, you know, we watched the, the Michael Jordan documentary the other day. I always say that he talked about when he was a rookie in the league and just became in the league. He walked into that hotel room right. and saw all those guys you know, mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I know they didn't have like the phones and stuff in the back like they do nowadays, but imagine if they did. Or, oh. I mean, his, his decision to, to leave the room at that point was probably the smartest thing he ever did in his career. And, uh, that's kind of been my outlook on it and social media and stuff. And I do have social media myself, but I keep very private on my social media and trying to keep a low profile and not, not post things that could be, could put my character in question. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just, when you mentioned, it, I thought it was important. Obviously, you know, that we mm-hmm. deal with, we're still dealing with high school athletes every day. And that's something that it, you know, you, you might think it's funny today or, or, but in the long run, it could, it, it could uh, hurt you. Yeah. So I just wanted to jump on that because that was a great point. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the fact that these uh, organizations are even having social media coaches for their, their players to make sure they stay safe. I think that's great. Yeah, for sure. So the following season, 2019, you get an invite to Buffalo's development camp. What differences did you see or feel between the two development camps? And, and I mean, no disrespect by this question. Why Buffalo? What, what, what drew you to that is, is my actual question. So Buffalo early on Buffalo took an extra step with me. Uh, in the summer of 2018, after I went to the development camp, I obviously paid my own way and everything and went out to Buffalo. They invited me out for a day and I went out and they treated me like one of their own. I had meetings or meetings with the assistant GM, GM, coaching staff, anyone related to the, to the, organization and uh they just treated me like their own from day one even though i wasn't a draft pick and took a special extra interest in in me and uh that carried over for about three seasons as i was a sophomore junior and then senior and when i went to the buffalo development camp i had a real good development camp really good and they even admitted now and telling me that they almost almost did offer and almost did offer me after my development camp but they just, I met, I met, you know, I met the Pagula family. They opened me up to, to everyone. They're the owners and they just opened me up to everyone on the team. And, um, I had a good fit with the guys that, that went there. Everything just went very smoothly. Uh, I played with a guy who just signed, um, on the team as well at Western Matias Samuelson, the defenseman. So, uh, be, I knew him and he had explained a lot about that. And then they took a lot of interest in me with the coaching staffs. And I talked to them quite a bit throughout the year. And I know Buffalo doesn't seem as attractive as, you know, Vegas or some other place, but it's honestly a blue collar city on the lake, just like Cleveland. And that's where I'm from. And it's just kind of hit home for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so there's a, obviously there's been a lot of change and, and, and first of all, congratulations with that. And, and it, it doesn't shock me that uh, organization uh, would take a liking to Dawson. So that's, you know, that's impressive in itself. But so now, now you come home unexpectedly as everyone else has been shut in their house. Um, 
I originally was going to ask you the question of what's your training like uh, every day, but but maybe I'm going to maybe twofold this question and say, what was it like before and how are you getting around trying to stay in the shape you need to stay in uh, if we get this thing back, which we will one day, but to make sure that you haven't lost what you had. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been lucky enough to have like a, a bit of a gym downstairs and um, some, some equipment to keep myself uh, in the shape that I was in. We obviously haven't been allowed to skate, so it's a bit tougher on that side of things, but at least if I can stay in, stay in shape myself body-wise and keep my mind active. active. So what Buffalo uh, has done for me is when I watch video, they send me videos every week. I send them back replies and stuff and exactly what I see from that standpoint. I talk to the coaches um, quite a bit and we do the FaceTime, just Zoom or whatever. Uh, and, uh, and it's just, it's just exactly what we would be doing if I wasn't, uh, if, I, if this was, wasn't going on. And, um, what we used to do before, maybe I'd be at Western training right now for a bit until I'd be in Buffalo, but, uh, I'm doing exactly what they've asked me to do. They've, they've got their, uh, training staff and stuff that send us information on what we have to do every day. And that's what, uh, that's what I get done. So I try and stay and keep myself in a, in a good, uh, rhythm, throughout and every keep every day kind of the same and just get my stuff done as I would if I were somewhere else. Has Buffalo told you anything as far as like when to report considering with all the pandemic stuff and the fact that they may still finish out the season and things like that? Not yet. Uh, I've heard that there's a possibility of them trying to finish out the season. So I think that uh, they're first and foremost uh, mind on that. And I have not heard anything as far as reporting or uh, camp or anything. So we talk a lot about hockey here, but there's also got to be the other side of it as well. You know, what's a day, what's a, a day in the life of Dawson DePietro away from hockey, whether it's in this whole, you know, the pandemic or not the pandemic, what, what do you do to like unwind and get away from the stressors of, of hockey every day? Yeah, it's tough. I, uh, I work with, uh, I've worked with a guy with a mental coach for a bit. And I think one of the biggest things is stepping away from the game and stepping away from, uh, stepping away from the stresses of the game and uh, with me it was school as well as stress so it was on top of that and if you have any relationships or whatnot that can go beyond that but I think there's a an element that you need to step away from the day every day for about an hour is what, kind of what we talked about and whether it's playing something like a video game or stepping away on your computer and doing some I, I do some graphic arts works and stuff and just kind of have fun with that kind of stuff it's it's important to step away and have a passion and kind of a something that you love to do outside of of hockey right well you know you're you're an elite in an elite group here in in cleveland because you know we we don't have a lot of uh guys that have have made it to the next level of the nhl so you're definitely in an elite group and and we uh personally i personally congratulate you as well as the rest of the the guys here um you know before we leave and and before we end what what do you give those young kids out there that might be in, in, you know, the Oh five Oh six age right now, or going to or in high school right now that uh, might think that, you know, I, I think this could be a, a good step for me is to try, try to make it to a junior uh, program, whether it be tier two or whatever it may be. What, what, what advice do you have for them? Yeah. I mean, I'm 24 years old. And if you were to told me I would have signed an NHL contract after four years at Western, I would have told you you were nuts um, when I was their age. And 
it's all about continuing to get better every year and continuing to improve your process and looking for pieces in your game to continue to improve. Like when I was in high school, I continuously picked out some things that I wanted to continue to get better. And obviously there are, I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to size and certain things, but at the end of the day, it's just never really like never give up. And I know it sounds super cheesy to say, but a lot of these people, a lot of these kids really don't give it, don't give up. Cause like when, like I say it, only a few, only a few NA teams wanted me. I was traded a bunch of times and, uh, I only talked to, you know, only was offered by one college team and it only takes one team. It only takes one person to like you. So continue to work your bag off. That's all I did. I continue to work, work hard. And, um, I always say I used hard skill and you, you use your skill set, but you have to work hard, um, in that aspect. So I think just don't give up on it until you absolutely have to. So that's all I think I'd say to these young kids. So when, when you say work your bag off, I'm, I'm sure you mean like you got to work your hockey bag off, correct? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, real quick. So I, Dawson, I read an interview you did, um, and I believe it was during your development camp in Buffalo, <clears throat> and or it might even have been after the time they had you come in after the Vegas camp, and, and they asked your thoughts on on making it to the next level, and you said – I'm going to go and prove the way I've proven that I can do this everywhere I've been. And I read that and I literally sat back in my chair and I went, Holy shit. I mean, that level of mental toughness, Dawson, I'm not going to say it's rare. It's there, but to be 24 years old and to have to, I don't want to say create your own path, but take every opportunity you had and go to the fullest man. It's, it's inspiring to hear. And it, it's awesome to hear, especially from a kid that, that I watched play here in Cleveland. So I, I, as I said to you before we started, congratulations, man. It, it's, it's awesome. It, I don't have another word for it. I know I sound like a bumbling fool and like I'm 10 years no, old, I but congratulations, man. Yeah. It's awesome. I appreciate that. I always say thrown to the wolves and I'll come out leading the pack. And it's not a, it's not a cocky thing. It's nothing like that. It's just my mindset and people don't really know, but I mean, even on team Ohio, I wasn't one of the bigger names starting there. I wasn't even on the power play to start the team. And you can check my points and look at my successes when it came to, to that league. And then and the NA, every team I was traded to, I'm, I come in as a new kid and thrown to the wolves and I'll come out leading the pack. And then when it comes to division one hockey, it's the same thing. I don't play for a whole year. And how much respect do you think the players in that team had for me at that point? Probably thought I was a scrub. Didn't exactly think I was a great player, but, I come out leading the pack again. So that's kind of my mindset and what I've continued to do. I'm a big fan of uh, like Baker Mayfield and I know he's a fiery player. I am as well. And he's a big mindset guy and he's in Cleveland now I'm in Cleveland. So a lot of things I take from him and, and what he's been able to do. So I just kind of have idled and looked at him as a, as a walk on. And that's what I was as well. So um, that's my mindset and that's what I can carry on to the next level. And that's what I look to do again. That's good. That's good. Well, hey, uh, a couple of things. One, first and foremost, thanks for coming on and joining and talking with us a little bit. Um, it's always nice to have local uh, guys like yourself come in and, and tell their story and even inspire, hopefully inspire some young young uh, guys out there. Uh, also, we ask that, hey, when you're back in town, I'd love for you to come and talk to some of our young kids in this area. Tell them never to quit. Your, your story of never to quit is probably uh, the most important part of your story when it comes to your successes. And I think that's, that's a, a huge thing to, to be able to get out there from someone who's done it. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. I, I, I say good luck, but I know how hard you'll work towards 
uh, getting uh, to the best that you can. So, again, Dawson, thanks for coming and joining us uh, on air here with the Digest. And we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me so much. I'd love to uh, look forward to help. Look forward to talking to those guys. And uh, thanks for having me on. Good luck. Let's get on air with Carolina Hurricanes goaltender Alex Nadalkovic. Welcome to On Air, our next guest, who grew up right here in Parma, Ohio, playing for the Cleveland Barons organization before he headed to Major Junior in the Ontario Hockey League with the Plymouth Whalers. He went on to win the FW Moore Trophy as the OHL's rookie goalie with the best goals against average. He played in the CHL and CCM All-American Top Prospect game. He was the 2013-2014 OHL Goaltender of the Year. He was the American Hockey League Goaltender of the Year in 2019. The same year, he and the Checkers won the Calder Cup of the American League. He made his NHL debut in 2017 against the Columbus Blue Jackets. His first NHL start came in 2019 against Vancouver, as well as his first NHL win, making 24 saves on 26 shots. Drafted second round, 37 overall by Carolina Hurricanes in the 2014 NHL entry draft. He has scored and will score more professional goals than I ever will. From Parma, Ohio, please welcome on air, Alex Nadalkovich. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Good. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, I, I would like, I can't wait till we get you back on after you set hockey uh, uh, record by scoring goals in all three pro leagues. That, that, I look forward to that day, and I know you do as well. Oh, yeah. I, I have dreams about it sometimes, let me tell you. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be this year, maybe. I thought it was going to be this year, but unfortunately, it wasn't the case. Right, right. Well, that's, that's, a, pretty good, that's a pretty good stat. And uh, When I was doing some research, I was reading on that. I was kind of chuckling to myself because, it, yeah, I'm sure that some, some coaches kind of uh, frown upon that, you know, just, but some, some probably enjoy it. I don't know, but it surely sounds like the two, two coaches that you had when you did it were okay with it. Yeah, well, my, the first one was when I was in the ECHL. It was my rookie year, and I had just gotten sent down, like, three days prior. So I was only, I'd only known the coach and like the, I didn't, I barely even knew everybody on the team. So they really didn't know the coach didn't know. Like kind of, I, 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 I think he didn't really know how I played and how much I played the puck. Right. So I would think that that came to a shock to him a little bit when it happened. But the second time <laughs> when I scored with Charlotte, uh, our coach at the time, Mike Vellucci, he was our coach. He was my coach in Plymouth from when I was uh, my first two years there. And obviously he'd been with the Carolina organization um, ever since then. So it, uh, he knew, he knew how I played and he knew how much I liked to play the puck. And I don't think it really came to much of a surprise to him when it happened. Um, so, but uh, yeah, it was, I definitely kind of give him a scare sometimes too. I know our coach, <laughs> our, a few times this year, I kind of, kind of had a few hiccups that kind of led to goals. And it's even if they haven't led to goals, they've led to some quality chances or some just some bad, just some bad reads and some bad plays. So, you know, right. as much as much good and as much excitement as it is, sometimes it, sometimes it's also probably not the smart thing to do. So when you went out to Carolina when you on your call ups and everything, did you let your defensemen know? Look, I mean, I'm sure they already know how you play and, and the style that you play. But did you say, hey, look, if I get the chance, I'm going? Not really, no. I was probably a little bit more tamed when I got called up. Um, 
I say that, but then the first game when I got called up this year, I skated to the blue line to, to get a puck. So, I mean, uh, well, that's tame. That's, that's tame for you, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a blue line, not the red line. So, um, you know, I, I think for most, for the most part, guys knew how much I like to play the puck and they, I think they had a confidence that I would get them the puck and they, and it would, the play would kind of work out well. Um, just from camps and all that. So, you know, you, you start to build a relationship obviously in camp and the more you do it, I think the more that they, they understand it. And then at that level, guys are so smart. And I think that like they see it and like, they just kind of know a little bit, right? Like, okay, Ned's got it. So he's just gonna, you know, I just got to peel off to the corner and, and I'm going to get the puck. And actually it was it like, when I was up this year, the, the handful of games that I was able to play in, I felt like that was probably like the best stretch of puck handling that I had gone through in probably my career. Like I really, there's really only one mess up that I, that I can think of. And I don't want to blame the ref, but like the ref was like kind of in my line of like where I wanted to put the puck. So I had to last second, I like adjusted and I just did my bank shot wasn't at the right angle. So man, it ended up with the scoring chance, but no harm, no foul. So. Right. Right. Well, uh, we're going to talk about the shutdown uh, here in a minute here. And then, you know, what you've been doing and how that affected and what, you know, how, where you were uh, and how you ended up having to transition. So um, you played for the junior Barons and you played for Parma youth organization here in Cleveland growing up. Um, now you're back in the Cleveland area now uh, during the shutdown. Uh, are you doing any training since you've been here or what kind of training are you doing, uh, here back in Cleveland? Yeah. So, so once the, uh, once like everything kind of shut down, um, I think that first week, the first week I was actually kind of running around a little bit. I was trying to, to get everything set up. I just recently bought a, bought a condo in Michigan. So I was kind of trying to like get things straightened out up there. Um, but then after about like a week or two weeks when I like, things kind of sort of settled down. I came back home. It was like, we, there was really no clear timeline as to when this might, you know, when the season might start to pick up. Um, so I came back home here, spent some time with the family. I mean, I haven't, I've been, you know, with them for two months now and I can't remember the last time that I was, I was at home when, or everybody was at home together for this stretch of, t- uh, this length of time. So it's been nice. Cause you, um, you, you were 15 when you left home, correct? Yeah. I left home my last year of triple a hockey. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, it, it had been quite a while. And then I, even after that, I was spending most of my summers in Michigan too, away from home training. So it was, um, like I said, it was just good to get that family time. And then training wise, um, I don't have a lot of weights here. I have a handful of dumbbells that I've been doing. So I've been doing mostly just some interval training and things like that. Um, doing some runs, some bike, some bike exercises, some workouts like that. Um, keep the cardio up. Uh, actually the weekend we just opened our pool. We have a pool here. My parents have a pool. So we, uh, we open that up and hopefully the weather keeps getting nicer here. I'm going to start doing some, some swimming stuff, get in the pool. But, um, other than that, it's just been pretty much trying to stay active. That's the biggest thing. It's like, it's so easy to just kind of lay on the couch and Sure. sit on your phone for an hour or watch tv watch two or three movies in a day so sure sure for everybody listening alex was the subject of a recent profile on ohio hockey digest so make sure you go to www.ohiohockeydigest.com to check that out 
looking through uh, the other day through that article that Scott wrote there on you, uh, one thing that jumped out were some of the names on your U16 team. You played one season for Beltire in between the Barons and, and the OHL, and some of your teammates were Dylan Larkin, Kyle Connor, Brendan Perlini, Zach Warinsky. You probably were expecting a jump, a jump up in competition, but once you got on the ice uh, with those guys, did you have any idea how special that group was? I, I think so because obviously I was playing against them, you know, for however many years they're um, growing up, you know, they were always like the team to beat. And I mean, there was a lot of good teams in, in Michigan. Obviously it's a hockey hotbed up there in Detroit. So, you know, you had bell tire, little Caesars, victory Honda. Um, I'm missing a few teams. I know there's just so many teams up there now, it seems like, but, but those comp you wear, like it was always going up there. It always felt like, you know, we were playing the best comp, like, kids in the country at that time it felt like especially when we played bell tire and i i forget the the rankings and the website and all that that um that would kind of go through and like rank each team throughout the country but bell tire was always at the top they were always one two or three like you know every so every time we played them you know good amount um in whatever in league play and then if we saw them in tournaments it was even you know amplified even more so you knew you knew the guys on the team and and how good they were. So going up there to be able to play with them was, was pretty cool. And to, and to build relationships with them, it was, it was fun. Obviously, you know, now I've got, you know, I know that that many more guys, not just the Lark Dylan Larkins and the Kyle Connors and the Zach Wierenski. not just like those guys, but other guys that maybe don't play the, the game anymore that are going, that went a different path with their lives. Um, you know, just to build more relationships and to meet more guys. It was, uh, it was a good experience for sure. So you go from uh, living at home with mom and dad and playing for the Barons at 15 years old to uh, playing against the London Knights in front of 9,000 people. I mean, there's a, there's a big difference there, uh, 15 and 16 years old and in front of an army of NHL scouts. Uh, one of the things I find very impressive is your first year with Plymouth. Uh, you were, what, 15? We're rising into the 16, correct? Yes. Yeah, you, you, and you played 26 game, winning 19 of those and only losing two of those as a 15-slash-16-year-old uh, away from home for the first time. Uh, probably everything was crazily new to you. Um, how were you able to handle all that stuff and, and, you know, not just another jump in competition, but also the amount of uh, responsibility off the ice, uh, you know, w- whether with school, living with a new billet family, whatever it may be, that, that's had, that had to be tough at 15 and 16. Yeah. Um, well, I, it was actually my second year away from home. My first year when, or my first year was when I went to play with Bell Tire. I actually sure. lived with a, a, a built family uh, with Aaron Hayden, who was a, one of the defensemen on the team. I lived with him and his family and who I'm still really good friends with. And they're basically considered second family to me. So I think that kind of got the kinks out of the way for, for living away from home. So going into it my next year or my first year in Plymouth, the off the ice stuff was pretty, it was pretty smooth sailing. Um, I mean, you know, you're still 16, you're still in high school. There's, and it was a big jump, especially in high school because I went to Valley Forge my freshman year here in Parma and there's only maybe like 1500 kids at most in the school, maybe. And then I went to Plymouth high school or it's like called Plymouth Canton, community schools 
and it's like a mini college campus. There's three high schools, Plymouth, Canton, Salem, and they're all in the same, you know, block. So you can have a class, you can go to Plymouth, but have a class in Canton. So you got to walk, you know, in between classes and there's 7,000 kids in it. So that was a big jump away from the rink. Um, learn like under like you know make meeting new people there meeting teachers and and getting your classes all straight and like that so that was a big jump but when it came to on the ice stuff really it was I thought it was pretty smooth because I at that point I was just still playing a game I was just playing it at a higher level than what I had been playing it at um you know it was I was fortunate enough to be given an opportunity to, to be on the team um, at the start of the year, I was the third goalie, and I was playing games with the with the Metro Jets in the in the North American Tier Three League. Um, so I was just kind of getting my feet wet in terms of like the junior level. And then um, after Christmas, things kind of started to turn around a little bit. I was playing. I got I got an opportunity to play um, to play a little bit more regular regularly with the Whalers, and then it um, things just kind of snowballed from there i mean we had a very good team too we had a lot of draft picks a lot of nhl prospects i think we had four first round draft picks that team or that year uh tom wilson stephan mason rick uh ricard raquel and then ryan hartman who would have been drafted that um that following summer in the first round of chicago um you know we had a we had a stacked team so it was it was pretty easy to play behind a group of guys like that where did you find the, I guess, the the infallible mindset? Have you always had that? Was that something that you grew into? Was that the, the, the change in scenery to living away from home that you just said, the ice is where I know this? So did that give you your even keel? Everything I've read about you, everything I've followed along with is you are just mentally unfallible. I mean, we'll get into the hockey fights, the goalie fights later, but you're just infallible. Where did that where did that mental toughness come from? Do you think? I, I think it was just all like it always was a game to me, and it still is just a game. Um, you just play in front in a bigger arena now. Um, so I think growing up here and playing here, you know, I was always going on. I, you know, whenever we'd go to the the rink and everything, my dad would always just you know, you just get better. You know, be like try to get better today, build good habits. You know, like work hard, and it's that for me that's it's like a no-brainer like you're going on the ice so don't waste your time why would you want to waste your time and just kind of go 50 percent why not go why would you not go 100 percent, 110 percent every time you're on the ice otherwise what's the point um so for me it's like that work ethic and every time you step on the ice you're there to do a job and you're there to play a game whether it's practice you go out for an hour and you know you try to get better you work on some things or if it's a game you know your ob- obviously your object is to make every save but at the end of the day if you get the win you've done your job as best as you could that night you know so whether there was a hundred people of just close family members from both sides or if there was sixteen thousand people in the stands just randomly chanting that you have no idea who they are to me it doesn't really matter who's there in the stands um, watching because at the end of the day, they don't really have an effect on how I should play my game. And that's just, I mean, you know, they're the ones that are sitting there watching. So 
I probably want to try to, for me, do my best so I don't look like, so I don't embarrass myself. (laughs) But that's even more. It's just like, for me, if I, if I screw up, it's not even so much that I'm like embarrassed. I'm just more frustrated with myself because I know I have better and I know I can do better. So it's more frustration for me than it is like thinking I'm more frustrated with myself than thinking, Oh my God, like I just messed up in front of X amount of people. Right. I get a question. I I get a real quick question, Jay, or or, or a comment. You know, you talk about this infallible. You, you were in Flint in 15 and 16. You were there for, I don't know, I don't know, 30 some games in Flint. And that was at the heart of the whole Flint water issue, right? So you're now living in Flint. How old were you? 18, 17, 18? I would have been 19 that 19. year. Yep. And you're in one of the craziest situations that the country's going through with the whole water situation. Like, what, what, what was that like? I mean, what, how did that affect the hockey up there in, during that time? It really didn't affect the hockey so much, um, honestly, because we, we lived in a, in a suburb called Grand Blanc, and it's actually a very nice suburb. Like, it's – you would not, like – if you say Flint and then you say that there's a really nice suburb right outside, like you, I don't know, you wouldn't believe that you were so close to, to Flint. Right. So everybody lived in, in this town called grand blank. And it was very nice. They had a really good high school for the guys that were there. Um, I'm, I think the the golf course there is called Warwick Hills. Uh, I think they used to play the PGA tour used to play there. I think back in the day. Um, and I, my Bill family actually lived off of, I think the 18th fairway. So like we were living in a nice area. We weren't in an area where like we were super affected by the water and I, and we didn't, I didn't really drink tap water and as my bill of family didn't drink tap water. So it, it wasn't a thing where I personally had been super affected by it. Right. And then they just took extra precautions at the rink. We were drinking bottled water um, and things like that. So it, for a hockey standpoint, it didn't really have a huge effect on it public like publicity and things like that like for the city and and for the team itself just like yeah. for other people to see it and be like i don't really want my kid going yep. to play in flint that was kind of the more of a i would say like it had that had more of an effect on the view or like what the city or what the team looked like because of the area that it was in yeah it's a great it's a great case of what public opinion can do i mean right. as you live through it and you said it really it, it was bad but it wasn't that bad right uh, but the way that everyone else in the world saw it yeah or especially the united states saw it was like oh my gosh you go to flint yeah you're gonna die well that's you like know? that's yeah that's the u.s and that's even like kids in um ontario that you know they they get drafted because you know it's it's a canadian league yeah so most of the guys on the team are are Canadian as it is. And, you know, there was a few guys that had gotten drafted that were supposed to play that year with us. And they didn't come because of the city, basically, because they didn't like the idea of playing in Flint. Yeah. And I think that's what hurt the organization the most. And I mean, it's not that bad of the city, honestly, like I said, like, I can't speak, I'm not going to speak for the city of Flint, but where we lived, like I said, was a nice area you know, you go to the rink and they had re- they had uh, renovated the arena, brand new, like state of the art locker room, you know, and all that. So they had, they had the facilities, they had a, a nice area to live in. I just think that people really weren't giving it a chance because when you hear Flint, you think of those things, you know, you think of the water, the, you know, the outside things that are going on that aren't, that aren't hockey related, which is unfortunate. I, I don't know what year we went, but we went up there to watch a game and, 
I don't know if it was a if it was something for the water or whatever, but they, it's the first time I've ever seen a hot tub behind a net uh, that actually people were in watching the hockey game. I think that was just a promotional thing. Um, <laughs> I know, I like, yeah, I don't know. It was it was weird. I, I was the same thing when I when I was there. They had it up, and I was like, huh, this is different. But there's there's actually people in it. People yeah, absolutely. It. You know, yeah, people absolutely for it and. I mean, whatever gets people in the stands, I don't know. Right. <laughs> so. so you re- you represent the U.S. at U18, U20 World Championships. Uh, one of your teammates, I believe, was Austin Matthews at the time, for our young listeners that know about Austin Matthews. Um, now, that, now that some time's passed, what sticks out to you more, the gold at the 18s or coming up just short two years later at the World Juniors? Honestly, probably coming up short. Uh, world juniors um don't get me wrong that gold medal at the u18s it was it was an accomplishment that was a tournament that you know we were i think expected to win and we you know it it was different for me because that the u18 tournament that's like a mostly like ntdp tournament that's what the guys that go there you know they build up for that they work towards winning that tournament you know that's what they spend two years for basically is that uh, the I, Ivan Ivan Holenka? Was that the, the U18? Oh no 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 no! I'm talking about the okay, U18. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. Yes. Were you asking about Holenka? No 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 no. Keep going. I just I had a question. Side question. Sorry. Okay, I get no. in the way. So no, it's all right. Hey, just let yeah. him talk. Let the guests speak. Gosh. It's uh, yeah. So we were playing U18s in um, Lapinranta, Finland, and. Like I said, the NTDP, you know, you go in, in your 16, 17 year, and then in 17, 18, obviously, you go and, and you play under 18s. So that's what they were building up for those two. You know, you played with the same group for two years. And me being in the OHL, obviously, they invited me to come play for the tournament. So I was excited. But I had, re- like, I knew some of the guys, but I hadn't played with them for the last two years, right? I hadn't had that same, like, relationship that you would have with the, a team that you've been with for an entire year. So when we won, it was special. You know, we had a good time and everything like that. I, you know, there was a lot of guys on there that I still talk to today. Um, but it wasn't – the stage wasn't as big as World Juniors was. Like, you know, U18s is a big deal, but World Juniors is that much bigger, right? There's – you know, you're playing in a, in a bigger arena in front of more people. More people are watching it, like, w- around the world. I mean, it's a big, huge thing in Canada. Obviously, when you see – you know, you watch Team Canada play at the World Juniors. Doesn't matter what country they're in, what city. It's always a sea of red because they they have so many people that just go and they make a a vacation out of it. It's just so big in, in so many different countries. And you know, going into that year, we beat Canada uh, to start the to start the round robin. We lost to Sweden one nothing the next game. Um, and then we ended up winning. We beat uh, Switzerland and I think Austria, maybe. Um, I can't remember the fourth team that was in our division. Um, or maybe it was, I think it might have been Germany. So we, we finished off our round robin pretty good. We, we were in second. We had ourselves in a good spot. We, we, kind of, we took care of the Czech Republic in the quarterfinals. Um, and then, you know, we played Russia, uh, which is obviously a big game. You know, it's always a big game playing the Russians and the semis and they moved us from the smaller rink to the bigger rink. So 
we were playing, obviously, like you said, in a bigger rink, there was more people, there was a little bit more buzz around it, right? You're getting to the metal round now where it's, you know, it's do or die, you know, you go home and you're going to, you win, you do well for one night and you get a chance to play for gold or, you know, you go and you, you play the next day and you, you get that bronze, you play for bronze and don't get me wrong. Bronze medal is a huge accomplishment. Um, you know, I, yeah, I'm happy and I'm honored to be able to have, to have won a bronze medal at the world juniors, but there's just something about, you know, winning a tournament, being the last team to stand, um you can't beat that feeling and sometimes for me i hate losing more than i like winning it feels like and on, on an international stage especially like i said it's so big it's such a big stage you know i wanted to win so bad and we had a really good team like you said you mentioned austin matthews was on that team zach brensky uh i think zach was the captain uh or no 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 Zach wasn't the captain. I forget. Louis Belpedio may be the captain. Forget who was the captain. But we had a solid decor. Charlie McAvoy was on the team. Um, Sonny Milano up front, like Christian Dvorak. Um, I can't like there were so many guys that are Anders Bjork, who's uh who's in Boston, I think, for a bit this year. Like there were just so many guys on the team that that did well and played well. And we just we didn't get the bounces that that game like we had been getting through most of the uh most of the tournament i didn't have as great of a game honestly the two goals that i gave up were kind of soft so it was just uh just a bad bad combination of things that happened that night and like i said you know i'm happy we won bronze but you go there you, you travel all that way and you play all those games and to not win gold when you had you knew the team that you had and what the capabilities you were the potential that you had it's it was disappointing yeah probably yeah very disappointing i know i can just hear it in your voice but probably the memories were probably great for you and you know to get with all those guys and and all that now moving into the pro uh into the pro ranks you know you had a lot of games in the ohl to prepare you but what was the grind like going through four rounds of best of seven to win the calder cup it really wasn't like anything that i had kind of done before like you go in juniors you play and um i mean in my last year when i was in niagara we made it to the finals and we ended up losing to london um you know in four games unfortunately but that I, that set me up a little bit for okay. this for that run i would say you know i kind of i had gone through it a little bit obviously i made it to the conference finals my first year with plymouth so i had that little bit of playoff experience um the year prior we had lost in the second round to, to lehigh valley so we had most most of the guys were returning from that year so we had professional playoff experience already as it was right. from that group and then we added guys like zach stortini who had won a calder cup with hamilton already dustin Tikarski, who had won a calder cup with norfolk thomas shirko who'd won one with grand rapids um guys that have been there that have done it and won um you know, that have gone through the, the rigorous, like second season, basically. Sure. Oh, they knew what it took to win. And I think we had such a good group of guys, like our leadership group, the older guys that were there. No, I shouldn't say older, but the guys that had been around the team for four years now, five years that had gone, they had gone through some losing seasons to start. And then they could see, like we had slowly been building up and building up. And we were, we were a good team. Obviously we finished first in the league we knew the kind of team that we had and the potential that we had. 
And any given night, we, you know, we could have, we could beat anybody and we expected to win. And that was the biggest thing was if we lost the game, it was, it was obviously, it was a disappointment. It doesn't matter how we lost it. Like if they just played well, if their goalie stood on his head and stopped everything, or if we just didn't get the bounce, if we just hit, we hit four posts, you know, and we end up losing the game two to one or like three to two or something. Right. Like you just weren't, we weren't satisfied with losing. And I think that was the biggest thing was the way that guys stepped up. And whenever we lost a game, you know, we lost it in the first round to Providence. We lost game two. Um, and I think we, we knew it wasn't acceptable. We knew the kind of team that we had and we had played a good game. I think um, I didn't really have the best of games and it was disappointing for me because I knew how good of a team we were, we were and how well the guys have played. If we score four goals, we should win a hockey game. So to go into game three, I knew I needed one. I knew I needed to be much better, but I think the other thing was, I think we knew we were fine. Um, you know, we played a good game and we still like, it just wasn't, it wasn't the night. So we go in and I think we took care of business in game, in game three in game four, we took care of business again and, and, and uh, got to advance. And then going into Hershey, uh, I wasn't there for the first game of Hershey. Peter had gotten hurt. Mrazic had gotten hurt and uh, in their series with New York. So I actually had to go up and back up for a, a few games um, and I got, I had to miss the first one, but I know checking in between our periods of our game, I was following the checkers game and it was, I think like four, one or something after the first period, maybe. And I was just like, yeah, we got like, we got it. There's no problem and <laughs> coming back for game two. I, I had to go back the next night. I drove after the game back to Charlotte and got ready for game two Saturday night. Um, I was playing and it was kind of more of the same. Like we got out to an early lead and we were just, it seemed like we were cruising. Um, game three came around and in their barn and that was, that was the tightest contest. It was like the tightest game of that series. We won two, one, I think maybe three, one with an empty netter, but it was one, not one, one, like basically the whole game. And we scored with a minute and 20 seconds left in the third to, to go up two one. And you could just tell like everybody was like the excitement there. And then we knew we weren't going to, we, you know, it wasn't going to go any farther than four games at that point. We had this team down three, nothing. We were ready to take care of business. Um, we, I'm not saying we weren't looking ahead, but just our, our mindset was get the job done tonight you know, leave it all out there and let's not worry about this any, any longer than we need to. Let's not give them any kind of sort of hope. Um, so we took care of business in game four, had a good, I think we had like six or seven days off until um, we played, uh, started the third round, which was, which was nice. It was helpful. You need, you, anytime you can get rest in the playoffs, you, you got to take advantage of it. Um, and then we go into, uh, into that series against Toronto, which was probably our toughest series. Um, they were the defending champs at that point, another good team, maybe a team that underachieved a little bit during the regular season. I think they finished uh, third in their division, so maybe underachieved a little bit by their standards. Um, but they came hard. They played hard. They were a good team. They gave us some trouble during the regular season, um, and we knew what we were, we were up against. They had a hardworking team. They had some young, skilled guys. 
that could put the puck in the net that can make plays and the power, their power play was clicking. I think at almost 50% in the playoffs. So, and for some reason, staying out of the box was a little bit of an issue for us, (laughs) but we, um, you know, game one, we lost two, one, it was a hard fought game. We just weren't get, you know, we didn't get the bounces. We didn't play too many games where we only scored one goal throughout the whole year. So it was just one of those games, you know, everybody has them. We, you, you, the puck doesn't bounce your way. Um, but we thought we, we felt we had played well going into game two. I don't think we really, we didn't really play all that well. Honestly, we were down three, nothing like 15, five minutes into the second period. Um, I, I hadn't been making the saves that I was normally making. Um, and you know, you go down three, nothing, you're already down one, nothing in a series. You're down three, nothing in the, you know, five minutes into the second period in game two in your own building, the energy level wasn't there. You know, right. obviously being down in that situation, you know, it just, it was tough. Um, I got pulled and ticker went in and kind of settled things down a little bit. Um, and then we kept chipping like just slowly. You could tell we were getting back into it. We were coming alive. And then we scored late in the second period to make it three. I think we scored with like a little over a minute left to make it three, one to get on the board. So we had some life in us going into the third period. Like it was like, all right, we got this like two goals is nothing. We can score two goals in our sleep. Like this is no problem going. And then, you know, it just seemed to snowball, get the second goal and the place is going nuts. And now the crowd is really into it. They're, you know, they're going nuts and we're on the bench. We've got some life again. We score the tying goal and it's just like, you know, we're like, this is it. We're there. Then then we got the last one with, uh, I think just under two, with just under two minutes left, we got the fourth one to go ahead and, and everybody went nuts. You would have thought we we had won the Calder Cup at like at that point. Like we had jumped. We were so excited. Right. Um, down. What were you said? You are down three nothing. Down three nothing. Five minutes into the second. Yeah, <laughs> and just completely flipped the script. And that was yeah. that was a must win game. I mean, you don't want to go. You don't want to lose two at home, especially going into Toronto where it's a tough place to play. Right. So to to pull that out, like I said, Ticker had played awesome. He played great. He came in and shut the door for us. And we were able to skate out of, to go to, into Toronto tied 1-1, um, which, you know, it's not what you wanted, but you'll take it. Um, and then game three, I was back in the net, and, you know, I, need, I, needed, to, I needed to kind of answer for, for that last night, for game two, I needed to kind of respond. And I think that was, for me, that year, that was like the, what's the word I'm looking for, like, that was that was my year in a nutshell. Was I had a bad game, and then I have a, a, a solid game after that. Like I, it never got to a point where it was like I went on a little bit of a skid. Like maybe in like end of December, I had a, maybe like two or three games where I was like iffy, but we had still kind of managed to play well enough in front of me. And that after that, it was like I kind of started to dial it in and that game three was I think I made like 30 or 31 saves we won 5-1 but it was it was a lot closer than what the final score was um they were they they came out ready to go I think they had like 12 shots in the first period like they were they were giving it to us and we were just burying our chances so we were you know feeling good after that game and then game four obviously is a huge it's could be a huge turning point and go up 3-1 or you know they, they tie the series and 
it, the conditions we were playing in were tough. It was, you know, end of May, it's hot, it's sunny out. It's in an old barn in Toronto that they played in. So the conditions were like, it, it could have been whatever, 85 degrees outside. It felt like a hundred degrees inside in an, in an ice rink nonetheless. So it was tough. You were dehydrated. Guys were dehydrated. Was the ice terrible? Um, the ice wasn't the greatest. It was soft. You know, it, it was so bad. Like the humidity in it inside was so bad that it would start to fall in during warmups. It would be foggy. Like the glass would fog up. So, you know, it took a bit to get going. Um, we were actually up, we were up three, one early in the third period. And I think we just kind of let our foot off the gas a little bit. They got a, I don't want to call it a lucky goal, but they got a, like a bad bounce. I, they got a, they got a, they lucky got a bad goal. goal from the goal line that just found its way in, um, you know, and then they scored again to tie it and make it three, three. Uh, and we had, we had chances. We just, you know, we were just an inch off, uh, the rest of the way. And then in overtime they scored, I, I don't want to say maybe 10 minutes in, they scored off the rush. The guy beat me five hole. Like the goal, it should never have gone in. It was just like, it was just kind of one of those games where, again, where I like, you know, I can't, I couldn't believe that we had played, like I had played that way and we didn't come out of there with the win. Um, that, you know, we played well, we probably played well enough to deserve a win. And it just, that's how it goes on yeah. the playoffs. You know, you think you play well enough, but you just don't get the bounces or for whatever reason, you know, you didn't get the results. Um, so game five ticker started and I didn't, that's exactly what we needed. He came in, he was fresh and he shut the door. I mean, they put up, I think like 45 shots <laughs> and he gave up, he gave up one goal. Like they were all over us. We had no business being in that game. And he, he held, he, he shut, like I said, shut the door. And so, so in long series is like that, or as a goaltender, I mean, who, somebody who always wants to play and wants to be there. I mean, are you in favor of the, the two goalie system? I'm going to be honest. I wasn't crazy at, at the time. I, I really wasn't, but that was, I think more of just like an ego for me and, sure. and a pride thing. I, I never showed it and I, I would never, and I would never show it in that. I like, I don't want, I don't want to be that guy that goes and sits there and, and cries and pouts because he's not playing, you know, at that point we're there to win a championship. And if ticker was going to be the guy that was going to give us the best chance to win that night, then that's, who's going to play. And that's what I, that's why I like, I like Mike so much and why I trust him as a coach because he knew the right, he, he knew who was going. And I don't think it was a, a thing where I wasn't going it was just getting to the point where we were playing back-to-backs and I had been playing a lot of the back-to-backs throughout the year. And like I said, the conditions weren't the greatest. It was hot. It was humid. And we had just played into overtime the night before. So now to go into it again, it was a little tough. You have a guy that's sitting here that's fresh that can go in and get the job done. And I think that was obviously the right call to make to put ticker in the net. Sure. And, um, you know, I, you always want to be the guy that, that gets the job done every night, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit there and, and cry about it when tickers in and I'm not like, that's, you know, that's not this game. You, it's right. a team game. It's not just about me. So he went in there, he did his job. He gave us a chance to win. He won the game for us actually. And, uh, gave us an opportunity to go home and close it out in six. I think, I think that, I think that was a a great message you just said right there about, 
you know, some of our young listeners could take to heart. And so, you know, I mean, yeah, you want to be out there every day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know, you did, you know, a back-to-back a couple times, you're in overtime, it's hot coach recognized. You might be a little tired. Yeah. I mean, you want to play, everyone wants to play, but you, you saying right there. And I think the young kids out there, whether they're in high school or juniors, whatever, ought to really understand that, you know, this is a team game. And when you get your call, do your best, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't matter if you're playing every game or if you're playing one out of every 10, like, you know, you're going to get an op like somebody's going to get an opportunity to play and you're not going to play every game. doesn't matter how good you are. You're not going to play every game or you're not going to be that guy in that spot to, to get the job done for whatever reason, you know, whatever yeah. it might be rest or they're just going to coaches think that this guy or so-and-so might have a better opportunity, whatever it is. But yeah, it's, it's a team game and it's always been a team game and it's never been solely about the individual. I mean, right. you see so many guys, there's so many great players in the NHL. And, you know, you think of like, like Connor McDavid, who guys are saying, like, people are saying, you know, he could be the greatest player in the NHL right now. And he's definitely up there. But it's not just him that, that can win. He can't win a Stanley Cup by himself. You know, as much as many goals as he can score, it doesn't matter if he scores five a game. If they give up six, what does it matter? Right. So, I mean, and, I, and I'm not, I don't want to like, I'm not bagging on him or anything. No, 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 no. I was actually, I was actually just going to bring up, and I, and I hate that we should probably correlate hockey and basketball, but I was just, if, if you've watched the last dance lately, I mean, exactly what they said to Michael Jordan, Michael, you got to start moving the ball. Cause if you don't, we're not going to win anything. Right. You know, you're the greatest player in NBA, but you can't do it on your own. And once he started understanding that, just like you said, once, I mean, once young guys start to understand that they can still be as good as they're going to be. Yeah. But once you get oh, guys yeah. around you and start utilizing the talent around you, mm-hmm. we saw, if you watch that show, you saw what happened there. So, right. So a few weeks ago we had uh, Trent Vogelhuber from the monsters on and, and I asked him this question. Clock hit zero. You've won the Calder cup. What's the first thing that goes through your head? Cause ever I, I, I watched the clip on TSN and I've seen the pictures of you full spread out in celebration. What's running through your head that moment? Uh, it was honestly just like a mix of everything, really. Like I, I've been asked that question before and I really can't give you like a definitive answer. Like I'm thinking this, I was excited, thrilled, beyond unbelief, like to, to win. Like that was, like I said, like you mentioned earlier, I won gold at the U18s, but this was at a, obviously a higher level. It was just below, you know, the NHL, which is where everybody's trying to get. So you you win that, uh, you know, you're excited, you're thrilled, like I said. And then that, like, almost, like, sense of relief kind of kicked in as well, where the season's done. You know, you've worked for months to, to put yourself in the best position to get your body in, like, peak physical form and to perform as best as you could for as long as you could. And, like I said, we knew how good of a team that we had and we knew that it didn't matter who scored if it was the first line second line third line fourth line like we had four solid lines or, or you that or could, you, uh, you you could score too i yeah i, could, I had an off year i didn't score that year so, I had off year. <laughs> so but um you know we knew everybody knew that they 
if it wasn't their night, somebody else would like have a night. Somebody, somebody was going to have a night. Yeah. Next and man I think up. That, Next man up. Exactly. And that's what it was the whole, the whole year. And that sense of that feeling of relief, like they're just a mounted was just lifted off of your shoulders. Um, you know, we were obviously the heavy fate. I, I don't want to say heavy, but we were the favorites. I would say being the number one team going in and, and, um, you were just happy that it was done, but you were happy that it was done and you won that last yeah. game. Yeah. Um, I mean, we like, we lost the first game and we lost the first game at home again in overtime. It was a pretty bad goal. Uh, I'm going to say, so I was uh, very upset with myself in that. And then we came back, we won the next night and then go in for game three shut the door in game three, game four, ticker goes in, he plays well, we get the job done in game. We came from behind again in game four, got the job done, go off three, one. And I remember talking with our equipment managers, with our trainers, with the guys, it was like, we're not going back. Like, we're not going to do this again and like go back and play game six at home as much as it would be as much fun as it would have been to win at home in front of our fans and how cool that would have been. We weren't going to go back. We were, in our heads, this game, it's, it's ending tonight. You know, this is our do or die game. And we go out there, we get a, we score, we score like five minutes in to the first period. And when we scored that goal in my head, like in my head to myself, I'm thinking, this is it. Like we had, we had all said it already the last few days, you know, this is going to be the last game, but it just kind of like cemented in my head. We're not losing this game doesn't matter what happens, like, we're not losing this game. And then, obviously, we keep going up 2-1. We're 2-1 going into the third period. We're up, and we make it 3-1. They get a late goal to tie it, or not tie it, to cut the lead down to one. Um, and we just kind of went back and forth the last, like, five minutes, scoring. Like, we would score, they would score, we would score, they would score. And, you know, it, we just – Every time that they had scored, we had a response. That next shift was always, you know, all right. Even like, even without the empty netters, like in a normal game, like we would have a good response that next shift. And just like I said, the relief, the thrill of it all being done and going through it with that group of guys, especially because a lot of us had been together for three years at that point. Um, we had like a really like consistent, core group and with everybody had relationships you knew everybody you knew everybody's wife wife or girlfriend you know you, you, you had built relationships deeper than just as a teammate yeah so you know yeah, it's important and you you mentioned that earlier when you talked about you didn't have that relationship with that u18 team when you were right. in the ohl and then and now to have that with this team and, and be able to win it it was i mean winning two championships at two different ages of your life with two different teams uh, and totally two different uh, situations was probably probably great in its own way, but uh, we can totally understand what, what you mean about you were with that group, and it was probably more satisfying that way. Yeah. Hey, uh, quick question, uh, uh, just about you know when you guys got shut down in the AHL uh, with the COVID crisis, did did you guys play any games uh, with no fans, or did they just shut? Yeah, this, this year. This year, no. No, we have, okay. Uh, this isn't related to it, but we actually played two years ago. We played a game with no fans because it had snowed one day in Charlotte in like December or January, I think. It had snowed, so the city shut down. 
completely. Um, except for, except for us, like we, and they basically said, don't come, they told people don't come to the game. Like you're not going to be allowed in. So don't come to the game. And so we played a game. We played a league game in front of an empty building. And, and, and so, so that might be coming here. Right. And that, that leads that, to my, that leads to my next question. Yeah. Um, that had to be a weird situation. That had to be a little bit yeah. odd. Um, something that we might have to see that might become normal here for the next, I don't know, a few months. Have you heard anything uh, from, you know, the NHLPA or, or Carolina, anything about a possible restart or going to the, you know, like the hubs uh, in the neutral sites? I haven't heard anything really different than what from everybody else has been kind of hearing from the media and things like that. Um, so I can't really give you like a, you know, a scenario sure. or a timeline of anything like that. Cause I, I personally, I don't know. So I'm, and I'm still trying to wait in here too, but I, I would say that eventually, like even if next season, like if they started next season on time or whenever they start next season, I would have to assume that it's probably going to be in front of no fans right? or very minimal fans, I would think. Um, which is unfortunate because that's the reason that's one of the biggest reasons why you play the game is because you do it to, yeah. to entertain people. Right. And you do, you build, you build relationships with fans too, with, with some of these fans that you see at every game. Um, so it's unfortunate that that might, that might be coming, but it's going to be very weird for sure. Um, I don't know what it was like to watch it for like on TV, because that's another thing too. It's like, even when you're watching on TV, you can see the fans in the building, like the buzz in yeah. the arena. You don't really feel it as much, but you can see people are on the edge of their seats. People on their toes are standing. So you can get that kind of like sense of how the game's going. Yeah. But with nobody there, especially being on the ice, it's one, it's really quiet. It almost felt like <laughs> practice atmosphere because there's nothing else going on in the stands. Um, and then it's going to be interesting too because you'll be able to hear everything. Yeah, like you can hear everything that's going on. Like anybody says anything, you hear it. So it's like you can't really say anything by the net about somebody because they're going to hear it <laughs> at the bench. And then the next play, you're going to get a puck by your head or that's that's why I left. Like, I love that stuff. I love the behind the scenes. I love the guys talking to each other. I, I always said that, that if the NHL wanted to really make some good, good money, you put it on pay-per-view where there's mic'd up players, referee, coach, whatever. And the reason you have to put it on pay-per-view is because of the, I'll just say the, the language that may come out, right. but man, would that be entertaining to hear just guys that know each other and, and, and John each other and guys that don't like each other and yapping each other. I mean, that's entertaining to me. I apologize. Yeah. Well, you, you definitely get a little taste of it. And with the, the TV these days, you get a little bit more because there's so many cameras. So you, they cap, they capture everything on camera, but you don't necessarily hear everything. Right. Right. And that's like, once you put the audio to the video, it just really amplifies the whole situation. But yeah, you can't do that on national TV like right. that. With, you know, so <laughs> right. it is. You want to make it a it's a family friendly sport and and business. So. Sure. Well, hey Alex, we uh, we appreciate you coming on the show, uh, giving us a little insight about your journey, about where you've been, about the OHL, the uh, AHL, all you know, the NHL, scoring goals, uh, all that good stuff. So, um, uh, thanks again for coming on. We look forward to talking to you again in the future. 
Uh, hopefully you get back on the ice this year. If not, best of luck next year. And uh, we always keep an eye on you here in uh, Cleveland. So thanks again for joining us today. Yep. Thank you guys for having me. Awesome time. Well, it was great to catch up with Alex Nadalkovic and Dawson DiPietro today. Uh, two professional hockey players from Cleveland. Uh, Alex a bit older than, than, uh, than Dawson. Both uh, one starting his career in, in Dawson. The other one, Alex, in, uh, in Charlotte, doing good things and making his way toward the NHL level. Yeah, it was good to catch up with both those guys. I'm really proud of uh, both those guys as being a Clevelander. But, um, you know, with Dawson, watching him play as a youth and then high school and then following him as he's gone on to the junior level and NCAA. And then, uh, you know, Jay, you and I had the pleasure of coaching some guys that played with Alex. Um, and we talked a little bit about that before we got on the air and uh, just seeing his progress and what he's doing. And uh, it was good catching up with him as well. Uh, so both those uh, guys were, were, you know, another good set of Cleveland boys that are making their way. And I really like the fact that Alex talked and so did Dawson talked about, you know, the strive If why, if you go to the rink and you don't give hundred percent, why even go, you know, that, and you could take that anywhere, whether it's, you know, hockey or school or work or whatever it may be life, you know, so I appreciate that in both those guys. And you see, you see the common denominator with, with, with people who make it to the next level or who succeed with what they're doing. Um, it's that uh, never quit attitude and never quit mentality. Yeah. That, that mental toughness it takes to succeed and, and, you know, only so many guys can get there. So what's stopping you? And both the guys we had on today, their mental toughness, their excitement to talk about their journeys, um, pros and cons of both. I mean, we heard pros and cons from, from uh, Dawson. We heard pros and cons from Alex here. And, but their, their wherewithal to stay with it and, and believing in themselves and, and not letting anything deter them reaching their dreams. And, and again, another excellent conversation again today. Well, that will do it for episode seven. We'd like to thank our guests, Carolina Hurricane, Alec Nadalkovic, and newly signed member of the Buffalo Sabres, Dawson DePietro, for joining us today. Make sure and stop back and see us next week when we have a broadcasting legend joining us from the Dayton area, Lee Malwin. He's going to stop by to tell us exactly how bad we sound and what's new in the Dayton area. And from the Talawanda Brave, head coach Zach Sens stops by to talk to us about their successful season and what's on the horizon for the Braves as Zach returns to his alma mater this season to take the helm. You can find the on-air podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episodes archives, as well as a list of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Continue to grow the game as best we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest. I said a story goes